Well, crazy. My, my biggest memory was the the first hole was also the driving range. Driving range, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they I, they definitely changed it from that. I think they changed it from that like around like 2010 before they did the big renovation. So they had okay. to get away from that. Yeah, I remember that too, actually. So okay, yeah, how did they how did they work that? You um, just so, I, I practiced there in college sometimes. Yeah. And you just had to like kind of like duck and like watch out and be like, they oh God, please don't or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just had to walk it and just yeah, go. It, yeah, it, wow. it was wild. I, it, that, but that lets you know that um, all courses aren't created equal, you know, for sure. So, um, well, it kind of goes with the, I mean, so we might lose Taylor midway through the podcast probably a couple of times because <laughs> they don't have fiber optics in Oklahoma yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> You will also notice that he picks on me the whole entire podcast <laughs> and Oklahoma, which I'm proud to be. I'm but, proud of Oklahoma. Know. Yeah, and you I'm and I'm, a, and I'm a sooner also. So let's get this thing going. Uh, this is <laughs> um, 32 of the Golf Performance Group podcast. So you probably just heard some um, uh, nice banter. Um, it, we still like each other right now. By the end of the pod, we may not, but you've got um, one of your hosts here, LeBron Palmer. We also have uh, JJ Wood and Taylor Cusack, who goes by T-Sack. T-Sack. <laughs> and we have, a, we have a special guest with us. So, JJ, um, do you mind doing the honors for us, please? Yeah, we got Jimmy Hack. Is that your nickname? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's actually what I named my company was everywhere I've ever lived. They always call me Jimmy Hack, so I go. I'm going to call my company Jimmy Hack Golf. Nice, yeah, that's a good nice. One. Yeah, I nice. actually uh, on SkyTrack, I downloaded a new software to try their golf course software, and the level like I'm at the hack right now. So when I play, <laughs> it says JJ Wood Golf Hack, and then I <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty funny. That's yeah, if you're, at, if you're at the hack level, I, that, they probably wouldn't even want me on it, right? <laughs> yeah. that's where you are. And then, I, so. and then I couldn't get my first match to work because it's like internet, like a player is somewhere else is playing me, and I couldn't get my ball to track, so I lost my first match. Yeah. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really low on the hack totem pole here. So, so, so Jim, again, thank you so much for um, joining us. And let's, let's kind of just jump right into um, what's going on with you, um, how you've positioned yourself now, even during the pandemic. Um, I know that JJ and Tiffany um, work with you on a few things. So maybe we can just kind of just have a conversation about, tell us how you got started, one, in the golf industry, and then two, how did you come up with this product and the design, et cetera? So the golf industry was, I was a wannabe tour player when I was younger. And after college, actually in college, I was the walk-on at the Arizona State golf team. And I played with Phil Mickelson for a year and a half at ASU and didn't want to leave ASU, but it was tough to break into their top five. So I ended up transferring to Oregon State and I finished up playing for the Beavers for my final two and a half years. Uh, but then after college, I tried to play probably five or eight years professionally didn't get very far, but I met a lot of people and I, and I got a lot more involved in instruction. So when it, when it was making obvious I wasn't going to make it as a tour player, I started teaching and then I became a PGA member. Well, while teaching, 
I was a very technical guy. I was very, read a lot of books and studied a lot of things, talked to a ton of people, very controlling and technical, almost piece by piece. And I, I was probably hurting more golfers than I was helping at this time because I was so technical and they would get kind of confused by some of my stuff. And I was confusing myself at the same time. <laughs> well, what happened was a good friend of mine, one that I played the mini tours with, finally made it to the PGA Tour. And he called me up and he said, hey, Hack, would you like to caddy? I go, yeah, I'd like to see what that world's all about. So I went out and caddied for Patrick Moore, who was the leading money winner on the Nationwide Tour in 2002. So he got his tour card for 2003. I didn't caddy for him on the Nationwide. I just caddied for him on the regular tour. And I joined him in 2003 and had this wonderful opportunity to watch the best golfers in the world just hit balls and play all day, every day. And the guy I worked for was a workaholic. He had a, I don't know if you can see a grip, but he had a very strong grip and he would, okay. he would turn his like throttle that hand way over. So at impact, he'd have to almost hang on tight so he wouldn't hit a big old hook. He um, would hit balls two to four hours every day. So I had to, yeah, every day, sometimes, yeah. before, sometimes before a round on the tour, like he would wow. be out there. It was that sounds like what VJ Singh used to do. Just, <laughs> I, I used to read stories about VJ Singh and they said he would do something similar, like just a maniac when it came to hitting balls. So, yeah. And, and that's what it was. But what, what the sad thing for Patrick was it ended up leading to an injury. He ended hmm. up getting a bulging disc in his neck because his left forearm his left tricep looked like a bodybuilder and his left forearm was twice as big as his right. So he was out of balance basically. And it led to a neck issue and that's what knocked him off the tour. Now. So all that overwork led to that. But what it did for me was I was on the range every day watching him. But when you're with somebody for two to four hours on the range, you, you start to drift, you start to look at other people. Mm -hmm. So what I started to do was I started to develop this philosophy of the golf swing that was way different than my technical side. It was a rhythm-based situation. So I would pick out the players that I thought had the best rhythm. Like if Freddie Couples was on the range, I'd park yeah. the bag right next to Freddie. If uh, uh, Jeff Ogilvie was out there, I would park yeah. the bag to Jeff and watch him hit balls. So it was watching these guys where I came up with this concept that the golf swing isn't a piece by piece thing. It's a sequence of rhythm back and forth that almost looks like you're swinging a ball on the end of a chain. There's an old medieval weapon called the mace and chain. It's a, it's a wooden handle with a chain and a steel ball. And they kind of go around like this with it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you took that and swung it like a golf club, if you went back about two thirds, you could make it into a perfect golf swing motion. So I thought to myself, well, that's really the idea then. That if I could learn how to do this and then teach this to the students I was working with, it would make it easier for them to learn this athletic motion. So I set out to make something that was like a ball and chain, but not nearly as dangerous as that. <laughs> so, and it was. I made some early ones that were quite dangerous. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw you, some of the pictures. He, he, he had golfers out there like they were on Game of Thrones for a little bit. That's exactly right. He needed a Taylor's headboard from last week. He was like, hey, watch it. Watch it. She, she tried to act like she got into a fancy studio last week. And it was like a wooden Game of Thrones board behind her. I, I had my cute, my like, cute top on. In bed. Yeah, my cute top on with sweatpants where you guys couldn't tell. So, so then from there, like, 
I guess you, how many prototypes did you have before you got to what's almost in everyone's golf bag that I see? I mean, if you're, you know, anywhere that I've been, someone has, you know, what is that again? Or where, you know, someone's (laughs) got it in their golf bag. So how many prototypes did you have before you, and JJ, my bad, go ahead. No, I was going to say, how many times do you walk a range randomly and watch guys warm up with the orange whip incorrectly? Oh, well, that's probably had a problem. Yeah. <laughs> too, too, too often, actually, because it's bouncing Does it drive off. drive you nuts? Oh, yeah, yeah. they're just like, yeah. I'm like, God, you're going to hurt somebody. Like, <laughs> all, I, all I ever do in those instances, I just try to slow them down. I just try to get them to take it easy, find a rhythm to it, and then build up. But, yeah, it kind of drives me a little crazy because it's like, ah, yeah. oh, they're just so obnoxious with it because i have to be i have to be honest when i before i like you did the when i met you at the coaching summit a year or two ago um and i that orange whip drove me nuts because i would just walk up the range and i didn't (laughs) i didn't necessarily know how to correct them because i don't watch like the tutorial videos or anything and i'd just be like just stop doing that please (laughs) like you're just hitting yourself with the orange well and and imagine that with the mason chain if they were swinging (laughs) that maybe they would learn not to do it yeah (laughs) so what i so what i did was this idea developed in 2003 and 4 as i was caddying and it just, the more I tried to almost debunk it in my head, the more I realized that I think this was right. So I started to make things in 2006 that would resemble that. But it, I started with a fiberglass rod or like a fishing rod. And okay. I would put weights on the end, each end of it, the counterbalance end and then the head end. And I didn't know how much weight. So just through trial and error, I would adjust different weights until what I felt felt the best. And probably as far as prototypes, I mean, I bet I made 20 of them. Wow. Wow. And here's the cool thing. I picked out my (laughs) five or six favorite early prototypes and I have a gun rack at home. There's no guns in it. It's all my original. (laughs) (laughs) That's a picture I saw. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. (laughs) So, so someone could think that you were just making weapons in there (laughs) instead of golf training age. Yes. That, that makes sense. So there's a, there's a new thing going on Instagram right now and it's like how it was going and now it's, how it is actually going and you can split the picture on kind of like where you started and now where it's actually at and see the difference that would be really neat that would be see how that far you've come yeah I'll, I'll do that because i have a lot I, one thing i am is nostalgic like even notice my headphones i borrowed this from yeah. my walk hey they work walkman. though <laughs> they work you guys are too right? young to remember walkman's no, 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 I, no, so, no I, I did. Taylor is. <laughs> Taylor too young. Taylor too young. Taylor lives Taylor in Taylor doesn't even there. remember the iPod. Yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> oh, you're she's funny. Like, oh my God, yeah. an iPod. She doesn't remember anything tape. before Instagram. Yeah, she never had a cassette. Stop. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Britney Spears and NSYNC were my first cassette tape. Okay. CD because I had Britney Spears too. All right. CD players. All right. So we, sorry about the tangent. Let's get back to the tangent. So what now? You've expanded the product line, of course, from just that original training aid. Kind of tell us how, how you went towards. All right. Well, there's more than just this one need. What what other gaps can I fill? And I think it's incredible. Um, you know, in talking to um, JJ and Taylor before. You know, I'm just impressed with how you've been able to take now from you being a caddy and building that into what you've done now. So how how did you determine, Okay, well, there's other um, verticals that I can kind of go into with this also. 
Well, with, with the golf swing or any golf shot, there's, there's a rhythm and there's a sequence to every golf shot, be it a putt, a chip, a full swing. And basically what I think I designed with the orange whip was something that a golfer can feel the sensation of timing and sequence and rhythm and balance. Whereas a normal golf club, they're so light that you can't always feel what it's doing. We can almost overpower it. The orange whip being quite a bit heavier and so flexible. If you do it out of sequence, it looks like the people JJ was talking about on the range <laughs> it's just all over the place. So I, I started to conclude that there was a better, I mean, not just a full swing, but I could go to short game. So my next move was to, to the putter. And I, I've always had this idea about putting mostly because I'm a bad putter, but that with a flat face putter, I always, I would always pull hook every putt I hit the, the flat blade would close down probably deceleration. And I would pull every putt. So I started thinking, I go, well, in pool, if, if, if pool, if you hit right in the back of a ball it's going to go the direction of the impact if you dead center it. So I came up with this idea for a training putter that has a round face. The putter isn't flat, it's round. So if you can dead center it, and then it will roll the ball directly the way you're swinging, it's a, it's a good transfer of momentum or, or letting the momentum carry it that way. So I added that unique putter head to a flexible shafted uh, uh, well, to the orange whip shaft. So you got the same timing and sequence. So it teaches the same rhythm on a smaller scale, but the, f the focus then is the, the round putter head. Cause if you use that and then you go back to your normal putter, it's going to be so much easier to hit because you're hitting it in the center of the face and getting the best response. So that led me to, to Stan Utley. He was using our putter and I was a chip yipper. I'd get a little nervous around the greens and I could, double hit a chip. <laughs> I've done it. Oh. So I probably did probably done it in some bigger tournaments, Definitely. but it's, uh, it was always frustrating. So I, I, I started talking with Stan Utley and we became friendly from going to these different teaching summits. And he said, Jimmy, I don't know why you don't put a wedge head on the end of this orange whip shaft, because it's everything you talk about and doing your full swing is what should happen in the short game. And he goes, and I've watched you chip and you don't do that in your short game. You're nowhere near <laughs> it. So he, we made one together and it worked out better for his philosophy and, and basically the promotion of the short game. So that came along after the putter to basically kind of fulfill the short game. Now where the peel comes in, you see the, that's just yep. a, kind of a wall covering mm -hmm. for my office, but the orange peel came to me because my, as I was still, trying to compete and play at as high a level as I could in our state opens and such, I would tend to slide into impact and hit some high blocks. And they'd still be in the right side of the fairway, but I'd lose distance and they were just kind of slight blocks. So I wanted to figure out a way to, to post up or rotate better, but in center that rotation. And I was looking at a painting by uh, Leonardo da Vinci called Vitruvian Man. It's, it's the big circle and there's a guy in there with two sets of arms and legs and his mm -hmm. feet are on this radius at the bottom. And I thought, wow, if I could stand inside of a bubble and swing a golf club, or a baseball bat for that matter, or even tennis racket, rotation is so much easier inside of a bubble than it would be on a flat surface. So I thought, how do I do this? I don't want to make a whole bubble. So I made something about the size of a boogie board, set it on the ground. It's stable, but it's got a concave surface. So when you stand in it, it naturally centers and balances your core. And because your feet are tilted like this, easier to push off, but also harder to, to move laterally back or through. So I thought of it, it would be kind of a unique thing. So I had a buddy of mine that I met here locally who can create anything. And I said, could you make something like this? And two days later, he had 
cut one out of some wood and made it perfect. And uh, nice. I tested it and I was like, man, that was, that was better than I thought. So, wow. yes, yeah, so we've been promoting that for years, but where it's really now finally starting to take off is when we teamed up with Brian Newman, who's a PGA member and a, he's a golf pro, but he's a fitness guy. So he's, yeah. He's mm-hmm. a combo and he took the orange peel and he started to add resistance bands to it. And he created this whole workout program around that and the orange rip products and now the new light speed. And his whole deal is how to use your body more efficiently and athletically to create speed, but also for, for a healthier body as well for golf. So it's all been kind of a unique evolution that each year it just kind of slowly grows and hopefully expands into all aspects of the game. Definitely not. We, we, speak that into existence we see it now like um that that the progression has been incredible and we know it's going to continue to go so taylor or jj anything for um jim before we get into just general um banter here in a moment so anything uh, you want to add did, taylor did, didn't you just uh get a light speed taylor i just you, got a i just got a whip no i didn't get a, uh, I didn't get a light speed, speed. Okay. yeah, yeah I, um, I mean no i like now after i met jim and listened to your presentation the i do them like every day like the drills i'll make my students do them because like you said no matter i mean i i'm not smart enough to be too technical like you but i i do get too technical for people that aren't in golf every day so like you're, I, you're one life. of the most technical people I've, I've worked with you're still a technical person like you're <laughs> technical. Not technical. I was self-taught on field but you have to be if you're changing a swing position you're technical like it's That's a technical piece, right? fair, fair, so fair. there's no way to get away from it and so then I'll like I used to have them get a water, but now I'm like, all right, get a, I'll get the speed radar, give them a light speed, and just have them swing as hard as they can and hold your finish. And then by the end oh, of the lesson, God. they love me because they like <laughs> brainwashes them to like forget about all the technique. And then I'll be like, all right, here's your notes, work on that later, but don't think about it when you play. So okay, so I'm, I'm curious, where where did you come up with the name? What made you name it Orange Whip? Obviously, it's orange and it's whippy. But I mean, what made you choose that color? What's the kind of what's behind sure. that? So I knew it was going to be a ball on the end of a stick, because if you put a club face on the end of a club, then people start to concern on their takeaway where that club yeah. face is at. And that's when their elbows start getting all over the place. But if you give somebody just a stick and they swing yeah. it, their elbows tuck perfectly. Everything is very natural and athletic. So I knew it was going to be a ball. I didn't know what color it would be. I knew it would be a vibrant color because I knew it would, you'd see it in front of you swinging. So I thought, you know, it could be lime. It could be yellow. It could be pink. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was, I uh, I was watching the Blues Brothers, another movie you may not be familiar with, but it's <laughs> definitely not. Taylor definitely has not watched Blues Brothers. <laughs> and at the very end of the Blues Brothers, they're about to be arrested by John Candy. Yep. And John Candy's sitting there with two other cops, and they're just waiting for the Blues Brothers to come out. So the they're ordering drinks, and John Candy points at the server. No, he points at one of the cops. He goes, "Orange Whip, Orange Whip." Three orange whips. And I thought, man, that's an awesome name. It stuck. It was immediate that if I made that ball orange and it's a whipping motion, that's a perfect name. Yeah. Yeah, That's so neat. One sec. Yeah. And you can find it. You could go to YouTube and just type in Blues Brothers Orange Whip. And it's a 15 second long clip. And it's where he says orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. So it was that moment I knew exactly what it would be. And it never varied after that. I had. 
a bunch of silly names before that that I thought, uh, but when I heard that, I go, that's it. That's the name. Nice. So cool. your colors have nothing to do with the Oregon State Beavers. Well, no, and uh, yes, they do. Actually, that's exactly right because they are orange and black. They but are. Here, yeah, but here's the thing: I live this office right here. I'm in in Easley, South Carolina, which is outside of Greenville. Yeah, is 12 miles from Clemson University. So all the Tiger fans think it's, and it, and I tell them it is because of Clemson. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really Oregon State. Now, Taylor, when you um, you were in South Carolina for the Fox sports show, right? Um, yes. Didn't y'all do Myrtle beach and all of those courses? Yes. Yeah. We shot, um, gosh, six or seven episodes going down the Myrtle beach golf trail. We were there for gosh, three days. And out of those three, we filmed two days straight. It was, crazy it was pretty well wow. and i work with jimmy hanlon quite a bit he's yeah uh, he's a great yeah. dude i got to know him when he was just uh doing local ohio jimmy yeah. hanlon shows and now it's nationwide but no he's been a he's been a great supporter and a great help for us so i've uh, i've enjoyed working with him oh, all right so let, yeah he's a great guy we'll definitely come back to make sure that everyone has social media website all of that in the in the pods so we can put in the show notes but i have a Bone to pick with some of our listeners, and I just want you all to hear it out. I said three weeks ago that it was unfair that Phil Mickelson was playing on the Champions Tour because he was going to win every time. And I've been proven right. It is unfair. And people people got in our comments and said, no, 50, 50 is the right age. And I said, it is unfair that he's allowed to play with yep. guys like – you know that that barely playing golf. You're Maybe. you're just you're that reg, you're that member in the skins game that when the assistant pro plays and makes a birdie, you're like he's not allowed to play even though he's a eight handicap. So he's a yeah. pro. He's a pro. It is and not like, fair. He, so so give give Jim some background. I I've been complaining that fifty is too young to allow guys like Phil. And then remember, Tiger's going to be there in a few years if he determines he wants to play. He won't. But, but they will oh, never yeah, lose. Will. You don't think he will? I mean. I think he will. He's a competitor, and he's going to get sick of not winning on the PGA Tour. So he wants to win at every level. He's won at juniors, <laughs> regular. Now he's going to beat up on the old people. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Jim, can we get your perspective as a, um, a player, a pro, a person in the golf industry is 52 young for the champions tour. See, Breon thinks it should be changed to 55. 55. I think, I think they should just align with the USGA, do 50 or 55. Like, well, that, that's about always, two different seniors. Thing. Yeah, that's strange to me because you're right. The amateurs are USGA is 55. I'm, I'm buddies yes. with Frank Vanna Jr., who's a up in New England, and he's a, a tremendous star. But, yeah, he was the one who said, yeah, all of his stuff, you got to be 55, but yet the champion tour is 50. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 52 right now, so I'm uh, I'm okay with the 58. Because <laughs> it gives me a chance, but... <laughs> I just, I just feel like the way that Phil, his distance is is unmatched compared to anybody that's playing out there. Yeah. The no, what about, what about, uh, what's the guy that hold out on 18 from uh, Sweden? Oh, um, hold on. I'll look it up. I know that you're talking about. That guy's 6'5". Like, he's got to hammer it. Uh, but Phil's also Henry, a little uh, bit different than every other Phil's you know, also a legend, player. too. Like, Jack Nicklaus, yeah. when he, he started on Champions, he's better than Phil Mickelson. Like, how many times did Jack win? 
probably 30, but yeah, thank you. So that's what I was saying. It's but still Jack won like 50. 70. A Jack won like I don't know how many on the regular tour. So go ahead, Taylor. What were you saying? You were well, saying I was just gonna say, like, look how much Phil is in. He's so much better shape than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, he has such Who a better ever advantage. Thought we would say Phil. <laughs> <so much> better <laughs> he has such a better advantage than everybody else. He's worked hard. And I mean, what what if he was 60 and he was in this kind of shape? So are yeah. we going to ban Bryson because he's going to drive every green at Augusta? No. Like Matthew Fitzpatrick, did you hear what he said? That yes, Bryson, he did. Yeah. yeah. That is such yeah. a poor pouty, I'm it weak is. and I can't hit it hard statement. Like, <laughs> it is. It is. Like, it come is. on. If it's such an advantage to work hard, hit it further. Like, he needs to get some of that coffee that Phil's drinking that has to be laced with THC because Phil <laughs> is the happiest person I've ever seen like, and coffee doesn't do that to you. How was, so. how was Phil at ASU? Because when I – so well, growing up, I always heard bad things about Phil. Like, you know, from guys that played on tour. My college coach was a caddy on tour. And so I always, like, talk negatively when people would ask me, even though I never met him. And then I met him, and he was, like, the nicest, most helpful guy in the world. And I was like, why is everybody bashing him? Like, he's, I like, think- my favorite now. Yeah, he was great. I mean, as a, as a teammate and as a buddy. I mean, because we did everything. We had study halls. We had we'd party yeah. a lot together. I mean, he was he was a fun guy and a likable guy. Now he was highly competitive, and that probably rubs people the wrong way. Well, yeah, at times, yeah. But, yeah. but hugely competitive. But the story I tell about Phil that I always think about all the time, and it's wish I, I wish I had more of this in me. I remember playing Arizona Country Club with him, and we both hit it in the right trees, and. As we're walking off the tee, I'm scolding myself. I've got my head down. I'm pissed off. Uh, Phil could not be walking faster to his golf ball. He's just booking it to that to that ball. He can't wait to get to that ball so that he can make birdie from the trees. I mean, he he couldn't wow. wait for it. And I was like walking slow and dragging. I wasn't carrying my bag behind me, dragging on the ground, but it, it felt like that. <laughs> it felt like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was. And, yeah. And he would. I used to do that when I was like saying my bag dragged on the ground. Everyone make <laughs> so he I was, refused the pull cart. He was so. just so optimistic about what he could potentially do. He didn't always pull it off, but he 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 went for it every time. So he he almost had this optimism I had never seen before. Because even in college golf, you always get the naysayers on the team, or they're always getting screwed because they don't get didn't get to go to that event or whatever. But yeah, Phil Phil, <laughs> <laughs> Phil was always optimistic and he was always supportive. And there was times where he would help you if you needed help on anything. And yeah, he I, he was great. I'm a big fan of Phil. Yeah. I don't know how much I liked that Steve Loy was our coach at the time and is now Phil's manager. I don't know how much I like that situation, but what do you do in that exactly. situation? But yeah. Tim, Tim yeah. followed in his footsteps, that other coach. Now he's John Rom's manager <laughs> for uh, Phil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so double, um, double we've got a couple quick hits before we get out of here. We've got the Zozo Open that would have been in Japan, but it's now at Sherwood because of the pandemic headlined by Tiger and I've got some betting that I want to tell you all about. You can let me know your thoughts. All right. And, Jim, and to, he's addicted to gambling. Okay. It is not <laughs> he, he claims that the golf is the easiest it, sport to bet on. It I'm is like, the easiest sport that? to bet That's on. About- <laughs> like, so Jim, I'll tell you my philosophy on why it's the easiest to bet on because courses don't change. 
only the players. So I can know who is good at Bermuda Greens. I can know who's good at certain places in the country. I can know who plays well because the course has never changed. It's not like um, NBA basketball where a guy could hurt his ankle or something like that. This is pretty standard of knowing who's doing well and who's playing in form right now. So, Have you ever played golf, Brian? I play golf all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I remember, I, in the tournament this year, I was four under through seven and shot 75. Like, I'm not a pro, though. So you, you, can't, you can't use me as the example. But I, I do want to give you the odds that are out for the Zozo Championship today and then the bets that I'm putting in. These are all future bets right now because, of course, the tournament hasn't started. Because, again, inside baseball, y'all don't know we're recording this today at the tournament. So we've got John Rahm is 1,000 to 1 to win the tournament. He is the favorite. What do y'all think of that? I'm thinking of sprinkling a little bit on the favorite. What are y'all thoughts? 1,000 to 1? Yeah, thousand. So basically, it's um, for every hundred dollars that you bet, you win your money back. Essentially, it's a uh, uh, you know, so the thousand. I was gonna say, why is it so aggressive? Because that's just how they do the odds in Vegas. They'll they make was them look like six to one last time he won or something. Six, he was six hundred to one, which basically uh, means so for every hundred that you bet, you're really only winning like sixty. You're only recovering a portion of your money at that point since they're such strong. So favorite. you can only lose. How do you, you win money? You can lose your whole money. You can lose your whole amount. That's why so. I don't gamble. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to that point, um, John being the favorite, what do y'all think about him being the favorite today in Sherwood? I think it's uh, a good bet. But I, I, I'm going to go Tiger this week if you were asking me that. <laughs> I don't know if you were asking me I, that. I don't think I'm anyone gonna... asked you that. <laughs> I know. I so, Jim, Jim, what, do you, what do you think about um, John Rom this week? Well, I think I mean he's a great player, but here's my I played Sherwood and I actually even caddied in the uh, when it used to be the Greg Norman's event way back when, and that's a pretty narrow course and there's also a lot of trouble or canyons and stuff, so that would be my concern with Rom if he starts hitting it sideways a little bit. But he's a heck of a player, but I, I'm going to probably lean towards somebody who hits a little more. Let's go with Matthew Fitzpatrick if he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, Fitzpatrick is, Matthew Fitzpatrick is 3,300 to 1. So I'm going to do that. So that's good. So, that, could be, that could be a good course for him. A little, yeah, so for every dollar I bet, every dollar I bet if he wins, I win 33. So that's, that's a good bet to me right that's there. That's awesome. Right. So when, right, when so, was the last time John Ron won? I mean, it's been um, right a while. Before, right before Olympia the tour championship. Olympia Field okay. would be Dustin and that. Yeah, uh, in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. contest. <laughs> yep. yep. Okay, uh, and then the yeah, Tiger, just because he's headlining, 2,800 to one. So for every dollar I bet, I win 28 if he wins. Is that reasonable odds there? You think he's about middle of the yeah. Middle I of think the pack? Tiger. Yeah, I think Tiger. And Tiger's gearing up for Augusta, so I bet he's pretty I agree. Well. Pretty sure. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but did you guys – I heard on PGA Tour Radio after I heard the Orange Whip commercial – that because uh, <laughs> I pulled it out the other day in a lesson, and uh, one of my students like, man, they're aggressive on PGA Tour radio. I hear about it all the time. I was like, yeah, it's good. You should get one. Uh, you should, yes, yes. They probably we're telling they probably everybody Amazon. No, Go but, get uh, an orange whip right now. That's what we're telling people. <laughs> but uh, but they were saying Tiger. I don't know how many events he's played there, but I don't know how many more than ten. But he has five wins and five runner ups. Oh, so perfect. Not, wow. So perfect. not many. a good choice, yeah. Not many people have beat him at Sherwood. I think Zach Johnson holled out that one year towards the end and That's like right. beat him, like to get in a playoff maybe and beat him. I don't know. But something miraculous has to happen. Yep. <laughs> so. No, I think Tiger is a great pick actually for Sherwood. 
And then my last bet, my last bet that I want to put in, and and I've been sprinkling a little bit on him recently to like make top tens and top twenties, and it's been working out. Lanto Griffin, there's something about his game yep. that is so consistent. I, I, and it doesn't matter where he plays, um, any part of the country. He's a guy who makes cuts first off, so that's the biggest deal. And he's always, you know, sp- near the lead. Um, now Sundays, for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to close the deal, but he's always near or around the lead. So I'm gonna probably play him for like a top ten or the matchups versus his playing partner because sometimes. What were the do- odds for him? So his to win, it's like ten thousand to one. So I'm definitely betting on him. So again, for every dollar I bet right there, I'm winning a hundred. So I'm definitely Drinks betting on, on Brian. Him. Yeah. <laughs> so where's he from what's his background i've seen his name a lot lately but i don't know anything east coast about some um, florida he, he, yeah he's a florida guy yep he's a florida okay. guy like okay. like tampa like the um east coast the west coast of florida west, okay yeah west coast of florida so um but yeah so I'm, I'm i'm a sprinkle a little on him and then i've got my spreadsheet jj because he was like you don't even ever win any money i'm going to share my spreadsheet at the match <laughs> he only talks about when he wins i, I, yeah, I, I don't talk about my losses sure <laughs> so but before we get out of here, we always like to give people a tip. Obviously, since we have um, Jim with us, he'll be able to give us a great tip about DeAndre. But Taylor, let's go to you. Any tips for right now? It's getting cooler outside. Anything you want to share for the people that are listening? Well, my, my tip's a little different. So I actually just got back um, from Dallas and I played Trinity Forest where they played the Byron Nelson. And let me just tell you how incredibly difficult the greens were. Like I was hitting an iron in, everything is just right off the green. I couldn't get anything to stick. And if I did get something to stick, it was, I would barely, they said it was rolling at a 14. And wow. I'm not, it was one of the toughest greens and they had actually just punched them a couple days before and they were still rolling out of 14. Wow. It so, was insane. Uh, that was insane. pink ball of a golf ball probably didn't stick very well. Do not take that, Taylor. Do not let him do that. With girl girl golf, it's just so easy. You know? <laughs> Taylor, don't let him do it. Don't let him. Don't let him do it. In my career, I watched women's golf. Was when the PGA contacted me about that video they saw of Danielle Kang. And I freaking paid attention to shot like 80. So screw. Why screw those in the ladies. world would you assume that I am playing a woman's golf? Volvic <laughs> is, is like the, the the tour sponsor of the ladies. No, golf Taylor, sponsor. don't let him do it. Do not let him do it, Taylor. Do not let him. I I'm not even going to tell you what kind of. And golf I think I that like happened that. to Bubba when he played there with the pink Volvic. <laughs> JJ, what's your thoughts today uh, on a on a tip or a story you want to tell? Uh, so Monday I was doing uh, tips on the rain for a corporate outing and it dawned on me, like, I'm not gonna, like, I hate doing tips on the range because like, they're going to change 10 minutes before their tea time. Right. So, so everyone I walked by is like, which way are you curving it? (laughs) And they're like, I'm slicing it. So I was like, all right, here's how you hook it and give them like a fill of the club face. And I had two people already come in for lessons. They don't realize that your club face is 80% of direction. So if you're slicing I bet they weren't female. 
Clearly, your attitude will um, make that on this show. They probably listen to the podcast and uh, they might not have any more old people coming in after that last week. We were, I didn't I'm know our fan base was like 65 years old. I'm old. What are you talking about? Jim, do you see what we have to deal with? <laughs> and Jim, Jim, so, so I was going to tell you it, but I didn't really give an intro on Jim. So Jim's got that like stupid sense of humor, except he's in like a nice version, and I've got the stupid sense of humor and the dumb version. I, so, I, like I, my, I, I call uh, JJ our Bill Burr. JJ is our oh, Bill Burr. Yeah, I, I, I just, watch him on yeah. YouTube like all night now. He is so funny. I was like, all no, right, so, I love this guy's so Jim, Jim, what's your tip today for people? And then at the same time, if you don't mind, could you make sure we have your social media account, website, where people can find more information about the company before we wrap this up? Sure. So I grew up in North Dakota and it's cold up there and it's getting cold right now. I'm in South Carolina now, but I grew up in North Dakota. So I would play hockey all winter. So I just put the clubs away. Yeah. Well, I would have to relearn the golf swing every spring. And that was just annoying. So what I recommend... You can use a golf club, but it's even better if you use an orange whip. But of course. Take of your course orange whip and swing it every day this winter if you're from a northern climate, either in the garage, in the house, if you don't have a chandelier, and swing it back and forth. Find your rhythm, but it keeps your body loose and it keeps your body moving. And if you can keep that motion, when you come back in the springtime, you'll have the footwork, you'll have the body rotation you'll have the swing and you won't have to relearn it you may have to relearn how to address a golf ball but you won't have to learn the swing so i recommend swinging every day at least three to five minutes if not more nice okay great if if there was a a human orange whiff would you say phil mickelson would be the human orange whiff Because he just no. looks like he's like an orange whip when he's swinging. Well, his motion, his motion is is very much like that. He loads up all this energy and uh, yeah, it flows. So yeah, he would be a good uh, a good example. I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Phil Mickelson uses orange whip every day. That's why he's so good. Well, we have a we have footage of him at the PGA Championship this year swinging his orange whip with his I mask on. I think I saw on. that. Yeah, nice. I think yeah, I saw nice, that. Nice. Yeah. All right, so now, where can people find you for sure? We want to make sure that, and I'm gonna put this in the show notes also. But where can people find you and contact you and social media, etc.? So all of our social media is Orange Whip Golf. You can go okay. to YouTube, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, and now I'm doing TikTok. And I love TikTok because (laughs) because ever since I started Orange Whip, which is exactly 13 years ago from next week, I I always wanted to use music because I associate everything with rhythm and music. Well, my buddy who would make a lot of these spots for us would say, Jim, you can't use that. There's copyright issues. Well, TikTok, there's not. I I have unlimited uh, ideas that I'm just getting going on. I've probably only made. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but I'm I think I've TikTok. seen some. Aren't they like '80s themed? Usually? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a huge fan of the '80s. Is your whole house '80s themed? Well, I the house next to my golf rental house is is '80s themed. I want it to feel like you're in the '80s. Yeah, it's a it's a nice. fun place. I have VCR in there with a bunch of old golf videotapes. I got record player with Little River Band album. I mean, I got all the good old stuff. Nice. Well, well Taylor never experienced that. Stop. <laughs> Don't let him do it. Taylor, look. So thank you again. This has been um, episode 32 of the Golf Performance Group podcast. Follow us on um, Instagram at golf underscore pod. Follow us on YouTube at Golf Performance Group. Um, also, um, 
if you go to Orange Whip Golf, correct? Yep. Orange Whip Golf on all uh, media outlets. And then, of course, um, subscribe to your favorite podcast. We're also now on iHeartRadio. So uh, not only are we your Apple, your Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, we're also on iHeartRadio. So like, comment, subscribe. We appreciate you listening. And that's been episode 32. 